You know what I'm waiting for? A month where absolutely nothing happens in music? Or at least nothing good that I can feel inspired to get on this podcast and share with everyone? And in that case, I'd just be upfront with everyone and be like, Yeah, sorry, fucking nothing happened this month. No recap episode. Go tell all your favorite bands that they're fucking mid and need to do better. Um, but that's not this month though. March was actually pretty cool for music. A lot of bands I knew would step up did so. There were some that took me by surprise, and some that didn't do anything to entice me. But that's fine, you know, music is universal, so I'm sure those things that did nothing for me meant the world to other people. So, yeah. I hope everyone had a good March. If you had a spring break, I hope that was sick. I hope some people listening to this are vaccinated or intend to be soon. You know, let's continue to take the necessary steps toward reaching herd immunity. It'd be pretty cool to see all the artists I'm going to talk about today live at some point. So, anyone who listened to the top artists of January and February episodes should understand this concept by now. I'm going to go over my top 10 artists of March, and that is exclusive to my own opinion. So far, I haven't had anybody try to fight me online about my choices in these things, which I guess is good, but sometimes I wake up and choose violence, so I'm not against any argumentative discourse if that's something anybody ever wants to engage in. I'll, I'll, I'll gladly fight you. Alright, let's try to keep this episode short and straightforward. As always, I have two runner-ups before I get into the top 10. The first runner-up is Against the Current. They were pretty quiet after releasing That Won't Save Us as a single back in October, but on March 10th, they dropped their latest single called Weapon, and holy fuck, what a song that is. Genuinely one of the better tracks from a band that already has a god-tier discography, in my opinion. The second runner-up is Architects. I had Architects at the number two position for the February episode, and in it, I said that their latest album, For Those That Wish To Exist, looked to be on track to being the band's most commercially successful album, and that's exactly what happened, since that album gave Architects their first number one position in their home country of the UK, which was solidified at the beginning of March. It's a huge victory for not only the band, but also the alternative scene at large, since many of us have watched this band grow over the years, and finally, they're flourishing in the mainstream, and they absolutely deserve all the success in the world. And just last week, they put out an orchestral version of their song Animals, and that shit fucking rules, bro. Need some more material like that from them down the line. On to the actual list. Number 10. Machine Gun Kelly and Corpse. This is the first instance in any episode where I've made two artists share a single spot, but I felt that was necessary for MGK and Corpse because they had equal contributions to their song called Daywalker. And just to brief anyone who might not know who these guys are, MGK is a very successful rapper who made the transition to pop punk last year, and Corpse is a streamer who gained a shitload of popularity over the last few months, primarily from playing Among Us. When it became apparent that they were going to have a song together, there were two things that crossed my mind. The first was that the discourse surrounding the song would be toxic as fuck, 
because I think both MGK and Corpse are pretty divisive figures with rabid fan bases. The other thing I thought was that this song has the potential to be something really special because I think MGK's last album, Tickets to My Downfall, had some of the best work he's ever done, even if the album as a whole was rather disappointing. And I'm completely sold on the hype for Corpse. I think his music up to this point has been stellar, and there's a bit of natural charisma to his personality, even though he remains faceless. But when I heard Daywalker for the first time, I was honestly a little disappointed. I thought it was weird and not anything I expected it to sound like. I, I, don't, I don't know, I guess I just felt that it wasn't as good as the better songs I've heard from them individually. But as time went on and I listened to the song more and more, I started to appreciate it as something that exists outside of what they normally do, especially MGK. And then the music video for this song dropped, and it was one of the more captivating music videos I've seen in recent memory. And because Corpse is a faceless personality who doesn't want to be seen by anybody, MGK actually got Valkyrie, who is another popular streamer, to play Corpse's part in the video. And it was done immaculately well in my opinion. Just the juxtaposition between Valkyrie's appearance and Corpse's voice adds a layer of bizarreness to the video, but in a way that I think keeps the viewer's attention. It just felt like the payoff for anyone who's been invested in the Among Us culture for the last few months, and I think both MGK and Corpse deserve equal credit for what Daywalker became. Number 9. Bring Me the Horizon I promise this isn't just some cheap excuse that enables me to talk about Bring Me the Horizon yet again. Even when this band isn't putting out brand new original material, they're still impacting the scene in some manner. I said back in the January episode that their song Can You Feel My Heart had a sudden surge in popularity due to TikTok. Well, that, that garnered the band two milestones in March. Firstly, the band hit 9 million listeners on Spotify, which I, I, I can't think of any of their contemporaries who are even on the precipice of achieving something like that. And then, additionally, Can You Feel My Heart reached 200 million streams. It's very much so soon going to eclipse Throne, which is currently the band's most streamed song with around 215 million plays last time I checked. And remaining on the subject of Can You Feel My Heart, Bring Me The Horizon actually remixed that song this month with Jerris Johnson, who is a rising artist on TikTok, and he was requested by a fan to remix Can You Feel My Heart. Jerris did so while also saying that Bring Me The Horizon was his dream collab, and what ended up happening was Bring Me The Horizon's vocalist, Ali Sykes, not only heard the remix, but he also recorded a video of himself reacting to it. And then that resulted in Bring Me The Horizon and Jerris Johnson actually collaborating on an official remix for Can You Feel My Heart. It isn't something that's supposed to have the same level of success as the original song, but that's really not the point. This remix exists because Bring Me The Horizon are smart enough to keep their fingers on the pulse of what's going on in not only their world, but the music stratosphere at large. 
They're reaching new heights because of TikTok, so why wouldn't they turn to that app to figure out their next move? It's a genius play that exemplifies just how they're constantly moving at a pace that no one else in the scene is. And it helps that this remix I've been talking about is actually really fucking good and not a thrown together cash grab like it could have been. Number 8, Drippin' So Pretty. I had never heard of Drippin' So Pretty before January, and I definitely feel like I was missing out because his discography on Spotify is filled with projects that date as far back as 2017. It's like this guy has just consistently been working to put out new material at every turn, yet I didn't become aware of him until Rest in Peace, the title track to his new album, was released back in January, like I just said. That song took me by surprise because while it's not too distant from other songs in the emo hip-hop realm, it was quite good beyond what I could have imagined it being. And then in February, Too Sick was the next single, and holy shit, that song is amazing, and it made sure that I started paying close attention to Drippin' So Pretty. March 5th was when he put out the album Rest in Peace, and maybe it wasn't the the genre-defining record that I hoped for. It was still a very meaningful release that I have no problem championing on this podcast. It's very well produced, and Drippin' So Pretty sounds so fluid throughout every track. Like, he knows exactly what type of tones he's trying to get across with his voice, and I think he excels in that department. The biggest takeaway for myself personally from Rest in Peace was the song Alone, which I still think is the best song on this album. It fits every emo hip-hop stereotype and is just flooded with all of those tropes, but it executes those concepts with the prowess that even some of the biggest names in the genre have failed to, in my opinion. Take the first few lines of the first verse as an example of what I mean. If I loved you, I would do anything for you. If I even had a heart, it would be in two. Always stuck inside my head. No, it isn't new, but when I'm with you, I feel alright. This song is so fucking good that it ended up overshadowing much of the record, which is one of the reasons I don't think I'm as attached to Rest in Peace as I want it to be. If I feel like listening to Drippin' So Pretty, more often than not, Alone will be my default choice. This is a juggernaut of a song that I know I'll keep listening to on repeat for the rest of the year, and probably beyond that. So, good on Drippin' So Pretty for having an eventful month, and I'm really excited to hear more work from him later on. Number 7, Stepson. I didn't go into March looking at Stepson as an unknown entity, but maybe unproven. I only first heard about this band last year when they released Run as a single, and I thought it was fine. You know, nothing monumental, but a decent song. However, that did inspire me to go back through Stepson's discography and listen to their past EPs, and again, I thought they were just fine. But despite that ambivalence, I was really interested in hearing this band's debut album last week, Help Me Help You. I thought the singles going into the album, like Deeper Sleep and Who Are We, were good, and definitely a step in the right direction from their earlier EPs. 
but my hope was that the album had at least one song that I could like latch onto and say, this is what I was waiting for. This is what Stepson had been capable of this whole time. Upon listening to the whole album, I knew that there were some songs that, that reach close to that level. A Dilemma and The Ship the Blur are incredible songs that showcase the talent found in this band, but it was the song I wish that I listened to and I, I just couldn't stop myself from just smiling the whole time. I Wish is the most different and out there song on this album, but it's that distinction in its sound that captured my attention. The pop chorus is counteracted by the slow, almost brooding verses that put you in a state of anxiousness because the setting makes you believe the lyrics are speaking directly to you. I know you're alone and have dealt with your pain, but you deserve more than I could explain. Jesus, what the fuck, man? Stepson's debut album was a success in my opinion. It's a package of good songs surrounded by some great songs, and then, in the case of I Wish, one perfect song that's going to have a lasting impression on me. Number 6, Brand of Sacrifice. Deathcore is the biggest hit or miss genre within the scene for me personally. I've heard some deathcore songs that I have zero desire to ever listen to again, and then I've heard some deathcore songs that are among the most powerful pieces of music to exist. When I think of deathcore albums that really spoke to me with profound efficiency, there are three that come to mind. The Cleansing by Suicide Silence, Eternal Nightmare by Chelsea Grin, and Immortal by Lorna Shore. Brand of Sacrifice's new album, Lifeblood, is really not far off from that group. I, truthfully, I didn't even listen to any of the singles going into the record because this wasn't a band I necessarily had on the radar of what I was looking forward to. They did have an album two years ago, but at that time, I wasn't seeking out literally anything within the scene that I could listen to the way that I am now, so I just missed it entirely. But I did see plenty of people on social media voice their excitement over this new record, and that was enough for me to at least give it one listen. I did just say that Deathcore can miss the mark for me entirely in some instances, so I had some cautiousness that I might not have liked this album. And I probably did arrogantly think, oh, it's a Deathcore album, so how good can it actually be? Here's the answer. It's very, very fucking good. The album opens in such a strong fashion with Dawn, and that lets the listener know immediately what they're about to get into. Then the album transitions into Demon King, and by that point, I knew I was hooked. I knew right away that this was a special release that holds some weight that not many Deathcore albums do for me. Every member of this band shines in such an emphatic way on this album, and by the end of it, I was ready to recognize them as some of the absolute best at their respective instruments in the world today. Track 5, Prophecy of the Falcon, was the highlight of the album for me personally, and I kind of thought it would be just from noticing that it features Frankie Palmieri from Immure. Frankie's contributions mesh perfectly with Kyle Anderson's stellar vocals, 
And this song contains what I would consider to be my favorite breakdown of the year so far. Uh, together, Kyle and Frankie just yell out, We will never be equal. A and that, like, fucking gives way for this inhuman wall of music that just batters your eardrums in the most disgustingly soothing way. That song, and this album at large, is somehow diabolical yet also angelic. I, I think in some later portions of the record, it did start to drag, but it wasn't in any way that hindered my listening experience. I just thought that maybe taking a handful of minutes off of the 41 minute runtime would have benefited this release, but I understand that in the pool of Brand of Sacrifice fans, I'm probably in the minority with regard to that thought process. And I... I, I don't believe this album cemented Brand of Sacrifice as one of my favorite deathcore bands, but it did ensure that I follow them from here on out and anticipate whatever they're doing as far as future releases and tours go. I, I'd fucking love to see them live at some point. Uh, really, I'd like to see anybody live, but Brand of Sacrifice especially, because I would imagine that these songs will translate to live settings with so much ease. Number five. Era. I don't think Era is a band that I can sit here and give a history lesson on, because I really don't have much retention of their first two albums. I know I heard them, but they just didn't really stick with me. So, in, in that respect, my journey with Era would begin with their 2016 album, Drift. And I think it's a solid metalcore album. Nothing that I'd consider groundbreaking outside of one song on there called Skyline. To this day, Skyline is still my favorite era song, and personally, it's probably a top 100 song of the last decade. I think it's beautiful and immaculate, and the more I think about it, its existence probably hurts era in my eyes, because there hasn't really been anything from them since then that I enjoy as much as Skyline. They had an album called Neon back in 2018, and I just wasn't really into it. I understood the appeal of it, but it wasn't a release that I could properly say I loved. So they started engaging in activity again toward the end of last summer, and it was under the record label UNFD. Honestly, I still don't really know if I, I'm saying that correctly. I don't, I don't know if it's pronounced UNFD or Unified. But regardless, Era belonged to them now, and the singles leading up to the self-titled album that they put out in March were a mixed bag, really. I thought Snowblood was pretty cool. I fucking loved House of Glass. Divisionary and Scorpion Hymn weren't too exciting for me. And then Shadow Autonomous was maybe my favorite single in this album rollout. March 19th came, and I finally got to hear the album, and I, I, I liked it. I, I thought that for an album that is primarily grounded in a style of metalcore that I don't normally gravitate to, I wasn't nearly as bored with the material as I thought I'd be. At some point, yes, I was bored, but then there'd be something at almost every turn to regain my focus. I want to single out the second song on here, Gungrave, because it's easily one of the best things I've heard from this band. I think that song takes the elements of metalcore that comprise era and uses them to craft a flawless song 
that holds its own against anything else in its genre. But the the biggest victory on this album for myself was the closing track, Memory Fiction. Holy shit. Memory Fiction, y'all. Everything I said earlier about Skyline and how moved I was by that song is almost duplicated by Memory Fiction. It's not like any other song on this album. The intro is carried by a piano before Jesse Cash comes in and just speaks from the fucking heart with lines like, We were reaching out towards the next phase of ourselves, autonomous from what connected us. I couldn't face the shame. This won't be the last time that I find I couldn't place the blame. Lessons that I find in love that we left behind. And and he sings those lyrics and I just felt like, like my soul was leaving my body. This song is everything that I've been hoping to hear from this band since Skyline dropped five whole ass years ago. They fucking did it. Era gave me a song that I will never forget where I was the first time I heard it. And I really don't mean for this rundown to just have memory fiction overshadow everything else on this album, because I do feel like if you're into the more progressive style of metalcore, you'll appreciate this entire body of work here. But I I just do not know how to shut the fuck up about memory fiction, because it's one of the coolest things I've heard in recent memory. Number four, The Midnight. So, I'm gonna start this entry off by being an asshole. The first time I heard The Midnight, this was my train of thought. Mom, can we have Breathe Carolina? No, we have Breathe Carolina at home. And then the insinuation from that was that I viewed The Midnight as a lesser form of Breathe Carolina. And I fucking hate saying that because I don't like to compare artists to one another. But my purpose in explaining all that is to make fun of myself more than anything else. Because it was so presumptuous of me to think of Breathe Carolina when listening to The Midnight. Just because they're an electronic duo. I think one of my biggest issues with The Midnight's past material was that some of them felt like they overstayed their welcome. And I'm referring to the length and time that their projects entertained. Like, for instance, their debut EP from 2014, Days of Thunder, was six songs that spanned 37 minutes. Then their 2016 album, Endless Summer, was 12 songs and 61 minutes. Nocturnal was seven songs and 42 minutes. Monsters, their last album, was 15 songs and 58 minutes. And it's probably a weird complaint to have about being given more content, but what I want listeners to understand is that I wasn't sold on The Midnight for the longest time. I wanted to like them because I could hear promise in some of what they were doing, but I just couldn't attach myself to this duo. Then on March 19th, they released their newest EP called Horror Show. And that grievance I just aired about how long their albums and EPs are. Horror Show is 7 songs and 28 minutes. Really, it's even less than that because Neon Medusa is on this EP twice. This EP is a considerable breeze to get through, and it's easily the best release I've heard from The Midnight. Everything works so well here, even if it's not radically different from what they've done before. It's just a refined take on their already established sound, if that makes any bit of sense. 
Or maybe I just connect with this EP for reasons I'm not even aware of yet. But either way, everything here clicked for me in, in a manner that I wasn't expecting. Neon Medusa has such an infectious hook that sounds like it was made from lasers. And that same influence can be heard on Devil Make a Deal, and then it's reworked to fit a more pop-based mold on Good and Red. And then the Nicky Flores feature on Because the Night makes that a standout track because of vocal elements that aren't found anywhere else on the EP. Horror Show is a victory lap from the Midnight, and I am substantially more high on this band than I was prior to this month. Number three, Rivals. Whenever a new month starts, I think to myself which bands I can assume will be covered in the monthly recap episode, just based off of who has an album or EP scheduled for that month. I knew that Rivals were putting out a new album called Sad Looks Pretty On Me on March 19th, but the singles leading up to that album didn't really do a whole lot to make me believe that Rivals would have a high placement. I, I thought, if anything, maybe 9th or 10th, and then if it fell to just an honorable mention, then so be it. But when I heard Sad Looks Pretty On Me, something clicked in my brain that unlocked my true feelings for Rivals. Up until this month, I saw them as a talented band that put out decent material in a scene that is flooded with bands I preferred over them. It was never about me not liking Rivals, but rather I just didn't see them as being an elite band. Those singles that I said weren't doing much for me, as part of the album, yo, they hit fucking different. I was listening to the title track, and then Lavenders, and then Alkaline, since that's the opening three song stretch on the album, and I was just like, I don't remember these songs being this fucking good when they were singles. The choruses on this record are massive. Like, arena rock type shit. They're so catchy and provide structure to this album that makes it one of the best releases I've heard so far this year. Kaylee Wolf is as talented and charismatic of a vocalist as any you'll find in this music scene, and along with the rest of the band, Rivals got to showcase themselves on Sad Looks Pretty On Me in a way that I didn't believe they did on their debut album back in 2018. Little Mistakes, which is the sixth track on this album, is now my favorite song Rivals have ever put out. It, it, it's, it's like... It's as if someone asked me to describe to them what my ideal dark pop song would be, and then that was the inspiration for Little Mistakes. It's catchy and atmospheric and as antagonizing to the listener's brain pattern as it is comforting while just being this wall of sound that you can't pull yourself away from. And then later on in the record, there's a song called Two Dom, that is one of the saddest and most heart-wrenching songs I've heard this year. Kaylee explained on Twitter recently what the song means, and this is a direct quote from her. Two Dom was a song written to my nephew whose mother committed suicide. With permission from my brother-in-law, I read her suicide note in the bridge and at the end. It's a heavy song about a boy who wanted to know why she did it, and that my family loves him always. 
Rivals got a taste of greatness on this album, and I think they have the songs now to truly elevate themselves and get on some really cool tour packages whenever live shows are back in the States. I want to see this band succeed. I think they can, and I think they will. Number two, Landmarks. I'm kind of in my head right now going through the artists who I've mentioned on these monthly recap episodes before, and I feel like there's usually a lack of metalcore in the upper echelon. Like, I know I had A Mice and Men and Architects near the top before, but then the other artists fit into some other categories. So, that's my way of saying that I don't feel like metalcore has really been captivating as of late, and that's probably why I thought that Landmark's new album, Lost in the Waves, was going to be a defining album for myself in March. A few singles had been put out beforehand, like Lost in a Wave, Paralyzed, and Overrated. Those songs are good. Like, shockingly good, for having come from a genre that I don't have as big of an attachment to as I have in the past. Landmarks feel like everything a metalcore fan could possibly ask for at this moment, but those were just some singles that I raved about. That that didn't mean the album itself was going to be anything extraordinary, because I've seen rollouts before where the singles are, you know, masterpieces, and then the rest of the material is just a letdown. Of course, I wanted it to be good, but I just didn't know if that's what was actually going to happen. So, yes, I doubted Landmarks, and what ended up happening was I got to listen to one of the best metalcore albums I've heard over the last few years. The album opens with one of the singles I just mentioned, Lost in a Wave, and it's such an effective opener that accomplishes what any good first song should. It builds itself up incredibly well for like the first 30 seconds, and then you just hear this scream of, I can't breathe, I'm suffocating, and that brings in the rest of the instrumentation in a manner that just punches you in the fucking face before never letting up its heaviness at any point in that track. I thought this song was already good as a single, but as part of the complete album, it is masterful. Consistency is the thing that astonished me about this album the most, and I don't mean that as a slight against Landmarks, because I've known that they're a talented band. But even for some of the best bands, making an album that is consistently good all the way through has proven to be a struggle. Landmarks absolutely nailed every one of their intentions on this record, and it's a real joy to listen to every time. They even took some chances, most notably on a song called Visage. So I realized while editing this episode that it's pronounced Visage, not Visage. Ah, you fucking idiot, don't know how to pronounce any French words. The first half of this song is a hip-hop song with all of the lyrics performed in French. I don't understand a single thing being spoken to me in that section, but I fuck with it anyway. It's a massive vibe that so seamlessly transitions into a metalcore song halfway through. Track 7, which is called Always, Reminds me of an anime opening theme song with its rhythm and structure, if that makes any sense. 
it's a weird thing to explain, and I can't really emphasize that point without asking anybody to just go and listen to that song to see if they can pick up on what I'm trying to get across. And then this album ends with Paralyzed, which is primarily soft, and sees a utilization of clean vocals to an extent that is not present on any other song. Landmark's fucking own metalcore this month, and I'm not going to forget about those contributions anytime soon. I think Lost in the Waves is an achievement and an easy recommendation for anyone who even so much as sorta likes heavier music. So, per usual, before I name number one, I'm just going to recap the list up to this point. The runner-ups were Against the Current and Architects. Number 10, Machine Gun Kelly and Corpse. Number 9, Bring Me the Horizon. Number 8, Drippin' So Pretty. Number 7, Stepson. Number 6, Brand of Sacrifice. Number 5, Era. Number 4, The Midnight. Number 3, Rivals. Number 2, Landmarks. Number 1. There are few bands in the world in my lifetime who evoke as much emotion from me as Chase Atlantic. I've said before on this podcast about the lengths to which Bring Me the Horizons and Poppy's influences on my personal life reach. Chase Atlantic exists in that same echelon. I'm not really a fucking journalist, so I don't need to hide any bias. Chase Atlantic is one of my favorite bands of all time. Just from the strength of one of their EPs from 2017, which was how I discovered them, I, I kind of had an inkling that they were going to be special in my eyes. I didn't think they were going to be as fucking crucial to my development as an adult as they have been. Maybe this is too over the top of a statement, but I truly, truly cannot imagine what my life looks like over the last few years without Chase Atlantic. So when it was announced that their third album, Beauty and Death, would be releasing on March 5th, that was an instant lock for number one this month. I just knew that they were going to fucking kill it on this record. Look at the singles leading up to this. You had Out the Roof, which is an anthem to say the least. Molly, which is one of the top songs of 2020 for myself. And then there's Slide, and then Empty. Bro, Empty. Tell me why the fuck I feel so empty. This might be the reason that she left me. No duds, just fucking sad boy hits one after the other. They didn't just clear the way to being number one this month. If music was the Suez Canal, then Chase Atlantic was that fucking ship blocking everything in the path. From the second you press play on the opening song, Paranoid, you just have every element that makes Chase Atlantic this fucking phenomenon. And it's like, here's the atmosphere, here's the depressing lyrics, here's the drip that makes up every beat this band touches. Paranoid finishes, and I'm like, how does this album get any better than that? And then Please Zanny starts playing, and I just cannot believe that I get to exist in the same timeline as this fucking band. Please Zanny is so heartfelt and catchy, and I can't decide whether I should be moved to tears or I should just bop my fucking head. And again, that song finishes, and then I'm left to wonder if this album gets any better. 
And then Out the Roof starts playing, and I'm reminded that since August, Chase Atlantic have been conditioning their audience for what would be one of the most fulfilling album experiences of all time. Yeah, I can say this publicly on here now and make it canon in my fandom. I think Beauty and Death is one of the best albums I've ever heard in my life. Not one miss, not one song on here is bad. I can't look at this tracklist and point out a single flaw. Chase Atlantic just outpaced everyone else this month in a way that is characteristic of an all-time great band. I mentioned Bring Me the Horizon and Poppy earlier and how Chase Atlantic are in that same realm for me. I'll take it a step further and say that I like this band as much as I like Linkin Park and Paramore, who are literally two of the bands that shaped my interest in music from a young age. And I just fucking realized I didn't even mention the song Call Me Back, which I have really, really given a lot of thought to about whether that's my favorite Chase Atlantic song ever or not. How is this band so fucking good? I'm asking myself a legit question right now. They do this every single time. They establish perfection and lead you into a false sense of security that that's as good as it's gonna get. And then they top their own work like it's a fucking game to them. I love Chase Atlantic. I love Beauty and Death. I cannot emphasize how definitive this album is of my 2021 so far and the belief I have that it's going to stay in my rotation for not only the rest of this year, but the rest of my life. Holy shit, I'm out of breath right now. My fucking hands are tingling, bro. Wow. Wow. That was... That was Chase Atlantic. That was the top 10 artists of March episode. You know, my voice is done. I don't know how I'm supposed to keep doing this shit. Uh, but either way, I, I got through another one of these. And I said earlier that I wanted to keep this short and straightforward. And I feel like this episode was neither of those things. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's my bad. But it, it's over with and that's all that matters. Um, I posted something recently to my social media accounts that I'm making some changes to how this whole ulterior thing is going to work. I'm getting rid of the website because I just had zero passion to keep that going. All of my content will just be through Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Spotify. And I feel really comfortable with all of that being my avenue for this platform. I I think I can do some cool work, and I I don't know I just I I just feel like with social media being the only method to this endeavor, like it it invigorates me in a way that I didn't really have when there was the website looming over me as a nuisance. So yeah, I expect podcast episodes a lot more frequently. Uh, please check out my Instagram and Twitter accounts if you haven't already. And I I just want to finish this by thanking everyone listening for their support. You know, three months in, and I feel like I'm starting to get a better understanding of what it is I'm after. And I do want to bring everyone listening with me because I think some really cool shit can happen if it all goes well. So, yeah, thank you for your time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, for better or worse, let's make a scene.